Hello, my friends. This is Pastor Christopher Alam. I trust you and your household are doing well today. We are in the subject of the grace of God and the faith of man. So we are talking about grace, the subject of grace, as the Bible teaches it. And then we are talking about the subject of faith. And we are actually marrying the two together for the same for the simple reason that grace and faith are best when they are taught together because they are intertwined and interwoven into each other and one supports the other. They are supposed to work together and if we study them together, we get a fuller and better understanding of how grace works and how faith works. So we are into that and uh, I, I can see myself teaching many hours on this. I don't know how long because I'm trying to build this up like a Bible school course so that when you listen to these, you watch these videos, you will actually learn something. In a, in a, you know, in a Bible school setting with few stories, but a lot of scriptures. So, uh, and we all have all these videos up on YouTube. So uh, that's what we are trying to do. And, um, but uh, before I go any further, let me tell you a story. I forgot to tell you my story yesterday. I always tell a story every night. And, uh, but le let me just share this story with you. This was like many, many, many years ago in Sweden. And um, there was this uh, uh, this uh, guy who came to, who was brought by his mother, actually. He was a little boy, 10 years old, and he couldn't walk. And uh, so I prayed for him. To cut a long story short, the Lord told me to, uh, you know, just pray for him. And I never prayed for a lame person before. This was the first time ever. So I'm praying for this boy. He had this incurable disease. He was dying. In fact, I found out later he was the third known case with this incurable disease. And I did everything because, uh, uh, you know, I was a novice. I didn't know much. So uh, I had read in a booklet that there were seven or eight different ways God heals the sick. That is the prayer of faith, laying on of hands, casting out devils, Holy Communion, prayer of agreement, you know, anointing with oil. So I thought, you know, I was just a young guy. I thought mm, I will do all one, all of them and one of them is going to work. So I did that. You know, I laid hands on him. I anointed him with oil. In fact, I poured the whole bottle of oil upon him because I wanted to make sure that, you know, it went through. I, I, I did everything except give him Holy Communion. And at the end, uh, really, it looked like nothing had happened. And so the mother asked me, she said, what now? I said, your boy is healed. She said, really? I said, well, I've done everything the Bible tells me to know. Now God is doing his thing. So while God is at work, just thank him and praise him. Don't contradict him. Don't ask questions. Don't say, because sometimes we can abort a miracle by, by doubting or by expressing our doubts. I said, every time you look at your son, just say, <coughs> just say the following words. Thank you, Jesus. The, the man of God has laid hands on my son. Thank you, Jesus. You're born my son's diseases. And by your stripes, I believe that he's healed. I said, just do that. Anyway, she did that. And uh, so the first day, the next day, uh, she, you know, the boy suddenly got up one step and he fell down and uh, she was like shocked. She called me. She said, this is what my son did. I said, just don't interfere. Don't think what's going on. Just thank God. Just say, thank you, Jesus. You bore my son's diseases. You carried his infirmity. The man of God has prayed for my son. I thank you. You have heard my boy is healed. I said, that's all you should say with your mouth and nothing else because the words of our mouth do matter. And she did that. And on the second day, he walked four steps, 
Third day, he walked across the room and every time she would call me, she said, I don't know what's happening. I said, I don't know either. All I know is that God is working and don't get in the way. Don't interfere. Don't bring your own thoughts and your, uh, your uh, doubts or whatever, but just thank him and praise him. Because the Bible says about Abraham, he didn't doubt, but he gave glory to God. So I said, just give glory to God. And then the fourth day, she got up and he was walking. And that was like, oh, I think that was uh, uh, 39 years ago. And that boy today is almost, uh, I think, 48, 49 years old. And he is the father of two children, has a family. He's got his own business. He's living today and he's alive. He's completely healed. And in fact, He's my friend on Facebook, but what, am I, what I'm trying to say, and he runs marathons and that's his hobby. Now, what I'm trying to tell you is that that boy could have died. Uh, if we hadn't taken a stand in faith and spoken the word of God over him, he, we could have given up and said, well, it wasn't God's will. Christopher Alam prayed for him, nothing happened. But you see, this is more than about Christopher Alam. It is about Jesus who died upon the cross and bore that boy's sins and diseases. Never forget that. If you just look at man, well, he prayed, you know, nothing happened. No, don't look at man. Look at Jesus, what he has done upon the cross. And that is what we base our faith on. Hallelujah. Anyway, we'll talk more about these things later. But I want to continue our lesson. Uh, well, the next lesson. And uh, last time we talked about, yesterday we talked about reigning in life through Jesus because of the, uh, remember this, the, because of the abundance of grace, the, not just grace, but the abundance of grace we have received and because of the wonderful gift of righteousness we have received, we reign and we rule in life through Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Now, let's go to the next uh, lesson, which is out of the law into grace. So, uh, coming out of the law and coming into grace. It's like coming out of religious slavery and coming into the grace of God, you know, and uh, it's like coming out of a swimming in a septic tank to coming into a beautiful, clean, pure ocean, you know, coming out of the law and coming into grace, coming out of condemnation to freedom. Hallelujah. So let's, I want to read to you because the book of Hebrews is written to Jewish Christians, Hebrew Christians and uh, Hebrews chapter six, verse one, it says, therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection. Perfection here means maturity. That means that uh, we leave the principles of the doctrine of Christ we now go into maturity. That means that the principles of the doctrine of Christ is the doctrine of salvation, you know, and receiving Christ, receiving a salvation. They said, now let us go into maturity. We have to, you have laid the foundation. The foundation is faith in Jesus, salvation. We have laid that foundation. Now let us go to maturity. Now I must add here that if you're all, you know, if you're trying to build a house and you're always laying the foundation, you will never get the house built. You can spend 50 years laying the foundation. You will never get the house built. So if you're one of those people who gets condemned easily, then you run to every altar call. And, and, and it's a sad thing to say a lot of evangelists, they build their ministry on the crowds at the altar because that makes them look good. And I, I look, I'm an evangelist and it is wrong because we evangelists, one of our jobs 
is to build up the body. In Ephesians 4, it says that the evangelist should be building up the body. That means they have got to be in our ministry a teaching element. If all we do is go from church to church and preach such messages that people feel guilty, convicted, so that people who have been saved 20 times before come running to the altar to get saved and it makes our ministry look good because we had a full altar. Now, I know some of you won't like me saying this, but that is the truth. Then you know what happens? We are undermining their salvation because these are people who have been saved for 20 years and every year they go to at least 10 altar calls. And so we are undermining their salvation. So they are like people who are laying the foundations again and again and then never build the house. They spend their whole lives laying bricks on the foundation. But what we should be doing even as evangelists, we should be, I mean, we should be preaching the gospel, but we shall be teaching people. You know, I, I always tell people, listen, if you're already saved and you had a bad day or you made some mistake, you had some slip up, I don't want you running to the front to answer the altar call, but I want you to sit there and to say to yourself, thank you, Jesus, that you bore my sins and I know I'm saved and there's no condemnation on me because I'm in Christ. I said, that's how you help people lay their foundation. So one thing we have to do, that doesn't matter whether you're an apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, evangelist, or, or whatever you are, the important thing is that we help people lay and build that foundation in my life, in your their lives, okay? So evangelists, if you're listening to me, don't build your ministry in making people feel bad through your fiery messages because your whole goal is to get as large a crowd as possible so the pastors can write, oh, when he came, we had large crowds at the altar and 95% of those people are already saved. They just feel guilty. They're used to feeling guilty. And people are like that because people are not fed properly and they feel condemnation. So we have to help people come out of that. Well, my rant is over. Let's carry on. Okay. So <coughs> look what it says here. It says, therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrines of Christ, that means the foundational principles, we have to go on to maturity. Then it says, then it gives us a list of the, of the foundation. And the first one, the first foundation of the, you know, of the doctrines of Christ is not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God. And if you continue, we have the six foundations, you know, laying out of hands and eternal judgment, etc., etc. But I want to focus on one of these things. The first foundation it says not laying against the foundation of repentance from dead works now what are dead works dead works are the works of the law that's what he's talking because he's writing to hebrew christians what he's saying that the works of the law are dead works because through the works of the law he said in romans 3:20 uh, sorry paul said in romans 3:20 that through the works of the law can no man be justified before the sight of god so if a person lives to work the law in order to be accepted by god it is an exercise in futility and it's just bound to it's it's actually predestined to fail because looking at the weakness of man, the inherent weakness, the sinful nature of man, and looking at the perfection of the law, it is impossible for any man to fulfill the law. So for a man even to try to keep the work of the law, to be accepted by God, 
it is an exercise in futility because no man can ever be accepted by God by the works of the law. That's what he's saying. So he's saying that one of the principles, I mean, the foundational principles of Christ is to, is to repent from our dead works. Now, this is interesting because we talk about repenting from sin, that if we have sinned, we repent. You know, that means we, we, we sin and we change our minds and we turn away from sin and walk away from sin, walk towards righteousness. That is repentance from sin. But here he's not talking about repentance from sin, but he's talking to Hebrew Christians who were programmed on the, by virtue of them being Jews. They were taught to, to live doing these dead works, the dead works of the law, trying to please God by the law. And they, it would be a lifelong thing, trying to keep the law of Moses, trying to please God through the law of Moses. So what, what, what the writer of the book of Hebrews here is saying is that you have to repent from these dead works. That means the works of the law, you have to turn away from the works of the law and put your faith totally in Jesus Christ so that he is your 100% total savior, that you look to him alone for your salvation. You look to him alone, that only through his blood you can be accepted by God and that you stop trying to work the law to gain accept acceptance from, uh, by God, even if it is a culture, because I know some Jewish, uh, you know, believers, they come to Jesus, they don't even want to call themselves Christians and they say, well, I'm a messianic. And you know what they do? They try to keep the law. They, they, they eat the Jewish diet, they keep the Jewish dietary laws and, uh, you know, all, all the, a lot of the things, not all of them, but a lot of the things that, that the, uh, you know, that the people under the law do, they do those things. And, 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 and they don't stop and think because the, the law itself says that once you do, you know, you give yourself to one of the items of the law, you are beholden to the whole law and you'll be judged for the, the, slices, uh, the slightest uh, breaking of the law. You are guilty of breaking the whole law and you are under a curse and, you know, the curse of the law uh, of not keeping the law of God in Deuteronomy 28 is poverty, disease and death. So the Bible again tells us, warns us and I'll show you this warning. The Lord is saying, don't even go there. Once you are in Christ, you are safe from the law. So I, I have a, he's a good guy, a Jewish guy who's, who's saved. And I asked him, why do you do this? He said, well, it's cultural. It's, it's my, um, this is how I was brought up and this is my culture. But you see, the law, the law of Moses is more than culture. The, the reason, uh, the, you know, the Israelites uh, kept the law of Moses was not to fulfill some cultural thing. Uh, but the reason they did it was to gain acceptance by God. Now, if we do those things and say, well, I don't do this to be accepted by God. I do it because of culture. In my eyes, that is wrong. So because in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1, when it talks about the, the foundational doctrines of Christ, the very first one is we have to repent from our dead works, repent from doing the works of the law. I mean, we have to repent and come to God and say, Father, I'm sorry, forgive me for trying to please you, from trying to be accepted by you, by my own good works by, of keeping the law of Moses. I'm not going to do that anymore. My trust is totally in you, in your blood, oh Jesus. 
That is my total acceptance because upon Calvary, you bore all my sins. You take my place and you give me the free gift of righteousness because through the works of the law, I cannot earn even the slightest bit of righteousness from God. So it is important that we repent from dead works. And here is not repenting from sin, but repentance from dead works. Repentance of sin, we all have to do. Doesn't matter whether you, you came out of Judaism, you came out of Hinduism or whatever, but we have to uh, repent from our sin. All of us have to repent of our sins, but we also have to repent of our dead works. Now, of course, as I said, the Jews have to repent of their dead works by keeping the law of Moses in order to gain acceptance by God. That's what I mean, repent from dead works, repentance from dead works. We as Christians, sometimes we slide into them, into those things, and we live under burdens of legalism. So even when we receive Christ, we all feel we are not good enough. And the reasons we are not, why we feel we are not good enough is because of the things we feel that we have to do in order to be accepted by God. And when we don't do those en enough, we feel guilty, we feel unaccepted by God. Do you understand what I'm saying? You know, let me just say this. For many people, even Bible reading, they, they, people read the Bible. I, I've talked to people. People, I said, why do you read the Bible? And one guy said to me, I read the Bible because if I don't, I feel guilty. Now that, that's legalism. You see, the only reason you should be reading the Bible because it's the word of your father. Your father is speaking to you. The word of God, your, the Bible is your place of communion. That's one reason you should be reading the Bible. It's your place of communion. Second reason you should be reading the Bible is so that you can study the word of God and be a student of the word and learn the precepts and the principles and what God says. You know, I mean, there are all these things, but you should never read the Bible just because you feel guilty because you don't do it. People feel the same way about prayer. They don't pray, they feel guilty. You don't pray to alleviate your guilt. You pray, you come to the place of prayer because you want to talk to Father. So what I'm saying is that these are the dead works. We feel that we have to do to be accepted by God. And here's the thing, good fruit flows out of our lives because we are accepted by God. We don't do things to be accepted by God. The only reason we are accepted by God is because of God's grace and because of our faith in the work of Jesus Christ alone, okay? So we have to repent of our dead works of the law and the dead self-imposed legal requirements we put on put on ourselves that push us down and destroy our faith. So we have to do that. Okay, then Philippians, let's go away from that. Philippians 3 verse 9, these are the words of the Apostle Paul. And he says, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. So Paul had come a long way because if you look at the verses before that, he's talking about his pedigree. How was it? He was a Hebrew of Hebrews and talks about his family, his theological education, all, all he was. But then when he met Jesus, he realized all that was garbage. And then he says, now, you know, he has come to that point uh, 
when he doesn't seek his righteousness in the law, he says, I want to be fine in Christ, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law. He says, I don't want that righteousness, which I earn by trying to keep the law, but I want that righteousness, which is by the faith of Christ, the righteousness, which is of God by faith, because that righteousness, that gift of God is far more life-giving and powerful than anything you and I could ever earn by our own strength and by our own goodness. By You see, that's what he's talking about. He said, I want that. Then he says, then he even, he was so passionate about it. He even said uh, in the, you know, later on, he says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death so that I may attain a resurrection like him. So his passion was to be like Jesus. And he says, even if I have to die a terrible death like Jesus, I'm to suffer like him, I'm willing to do that if that is what it would cost me to rise up like him and to be like him. But I have good news. We don't have to uh, try to keep the law or to suffer and die, to be like Jesus, to have a resurrection like him. It is given to us by grace because we have received the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. So because of that, we reign in Christ. And because we reign in Christ, because we have Christ living in us, that is what enables us to go through any situation, any difficulty, if we are persecuted or imprisoned or killed, it doesn't matter. We can go to anything, through anything, because we are loved by God, accepted by God, and because we are in Christ. Amen. I trust you are all with me. Now, let's go to, let's go to Acts 13, verse 43. It says, many of the Jews and religious proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who speaking to them, persuaded them to con continue in the grace of God. This is interesting because here were these Jews uh, who had gotten saved, who had come to Jesus. Uh, they followed Paul and Barnabas and Paul and Barnabas had came out or come out of similar Jewish background as them. And Paul and Barnabas spoke to them and persuaded them not to carry on in the works of the law, but to carry on in the grace of God. So this was important for Paul and Barnabas that these people came because they had lived under the law and they were Jews and they had lived under the law of Moses. So he said, now you have come out of the law. Don't go back there again. But uh, they were persuading them to carry on in the grace of God, carry on in the grace of God. And then Acts 20, Acts chapter 20, verse 32, it says, this is what Paul says. He says, now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. Now, what he's saying is that Paul is saying to the Jews, he says, I commend you to God. I, I commend your life. I put you in the hands of the Lord and to the word of his grace, to the word of his grace, to the word of God's grace. You see the word of God is the word of his grace. The word of God communicates the mercy and the love of God for people. And so it says, I commend you to God and I commend you to the word of his grace. And this is what the word of his grace does. It is to build you up. First thing, the word of God's grace builds you up. And the second thing, the word of God's grace, it gives you, it brings you to your inheritance. So in other words, and 
he, he, Paul commends those, he, and commits these disciples, uh, these brothers, into uh, to the hand of God and to the word of his grace. That means an understanding and a revelation of God's grace as revealed in his word. That's what he said. That's what it means. I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. That means may you have an understanding and a revelation of God's grace as it is revealed in his word. Because you see, grace isn't just a fuzzy feeling. Some people think, oh, I feel so good. You know, it's fuzzy. That's great. No, grace isn't a fuzzy feeling. Grace is actually Jesus and what Jesus has done and everything Jesus says. So if you're just fuzzy feeling, you're looking for an easy chair Christianity, you know, where there's no, where there's no uh, commitment. You can do what you like, whatever feels like you can do. And uh, some people say, oh, if I feel like going to a bar, I'll go to a bar. I'm already loved and respected and I'm already blessed. I'm already forgiven. No, that is not grace. Grace is being committed to the word because it is from the word that grace comes. Grace comes. It's not a feeling. It's not a fuzzy feeling. It's the, it's the word of God because the word of God is the word of his grace. A person who is under grace, he will study the word because the word reveals to him what grace is. So he says, he says, I commend you to the word of God's grace. That means a revelation and an understanding of God's grace as revealed in his word. And this is what it will do. It's going to build you up. It's not going to tear you down. It's not going to make you lazy. It's not going to make you lascivious or living in your flesh or indulging yourself. But it's going to build you up. And grace will make you strong. It will make you a strong man of God, a strong woman of God. And then it says, secondly, it will help you take hold of your inheritance in Christ. That means the Bible says we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Jesus Christ. That means everything that Jesus has purchased with his blood, it is yours and it is mine. We are heirs of God and we are co-heirs of Christ. And as we get an understanding, a revelation of God's grace as revealed in his word, we shall not only grow strong and bold, but we will also take hold of all that belongs to us in Christ, all our inheritance as heirs of God and co-heirs in Christ. We will take a hold of our inheritance. And I tell you, we need to do that these days. We need to take a hold of our inheritance and move forward because if all the Christians begin to walk in their inheritance, it would change the world. Then I want to finish with Hebrews 13, 9. They says, for it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace. The established heart. The established heart is when the principles or the precepts or the things you study in the Bible are not just things printed on a piece of paper, but they become part of your DNA. That means through, through the study of the Word of God, you know, through the study of the Word of God, meditating on the Word of God, speaking the Word of God, and doing the Word of God, what happens that the, these principles, these precepts become established in your heart. So the established heart isn't just, you know, like, for example, let me give an example. A person can say, well, I believe in healing. Why do you believe in healing? Well, the Bible says I believe in healing. But that's not the established heart. That is just knowledge in the head. The established heart is the guy. The moment he gets sick, he begins to get up and praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, that I'm healed. You know why? Because the fact that Jesus 
has borne his disease, carried his pain, is no longer something he uh, reads in the Bible and just gives his mental assent to. But he has absorbed that truth, that revelation in his spirit to the point that it becomes a part of his DNA so that if sickness ever comes against his body, that that word of God rises up as his knee-jerk reaction. Nobody has to say to him, oh, confess healing if you're sick. It's not a formula he's working, but it rises up from within him and he begins to praise God and thank God because in his heart, it's a part of him to see sickness and disease as nothing that belongs to him, but it was put upon Jesus, upon Calvary, and that with his stripes I'm healed. That's the established heart. So an established heart is a heart that is totally established in what Jesus has done for him. And not a piece of theology or not something he gives his mental assent to, but something which is a part of him. So it says uh, in Hebrews 39, it is a good thing for the heart to be established in grace. That means our heart, when our hearts are established in grace, it is because we understand the grace of God, the grace and the mercy, the favor of God. The unmerited favor of God is so much a part of our lives that whatever situation we are in life, we can say it's going to be okay because I have favor with God. God has his hand upon me and it is well with my soul. You know, it's going to be good because God is with me and the Father has promised in his word and everything is going to be okay because God's favor and blessing and his mercy and this gift of righteousness are flowing over my life and I have it all over me and it's going to be okay. When your heart is established in the, in the grace of God, faith is never a big problem for you. But we'll carry on more and uh, let's pray together. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters. Let your hand of mercy be upon them. Bless them, Father. Bless their homes. I thank you, Father, that sickness and disease are defeated and Satan, your works have been destroyed. I speak long life and blessing and health to each person who can hear my voice. I thank you, Father, for their lives and for the fruit they shall bear for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the Lord bless you, my brothers and sisters, and I'll be seeing you tomorrow.